are listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Welcome everyone to the Pines Church online experience. My name is Matt Joy. I am the lead pastor here, and I am so excited that you carved out 25 minutes and change to study God's word with us. We just wrapped up a series on vision and how all vision originates from God. And so if you haven't had the opportunity to go through that, you can find it on YouTube, podcasts, and um, our website and social media. So it's, it's scattered everywhere, but it's an amazing message to start the year off on the right foot. Not your, not your vision for your life or your employer's vision for your life or media's vision for your life, but rather God's vision for your life, which is what we all should want. But I'm going to be taking a little bit of a detour um, in the message that I'm going to be sharing with you today. It's not a part of a series. You could say that it's a standalone but I think it really um, bears relevant to what's going on in our culture and in our society today. So without further ado, I'm gonna go ahead and dive into this. But to do that, I'm gonna tell you a story, okay? So my wife has been eye-guzzling this TV show uh, on, I don't know what it's on, uh, what streaming platform, but it's, it's called Fixer Upper. So it's Chip and Joanna Gaines. Everybody should know that name by now. Um, they're all over the place. They're, they're making uh, pastries and they have magazines and books and they're making uh, things to put in your house at, uh, at Target. But they started out on this show called Fixer Upper. And what they would do is they, my wife would make me sit down and watch this show with her, okay? And so what this couple would do is they would sit down with you know two people that were looking to buy a home usually husband and wife, that's the best way to do it. And, um, and they would say, this is our budget. And so they usually weren't starting out with a lot of money, so they'd look at a home that was relatively uh, inexpensive and then they'd fix it up. So at the beginning, when they start showing you these homes, you're like, dang, man, that, that, that home is busted looking. And even the people that they were taking through would be like, ugh, ugh. But the Chip and Joanna, would do this amazing thing. They would, they, they would present like a vision of what that home could be. And it was hard for the viewer to, to grasp that vision because all you could see was this busted house with like holes in it or like the orange shag carpet. Um, and it was hard for the people that were looking at purchasing the home to capture that vision too because all they could see what was, in, what was in front of them. That's all they could see. But Chip and Joanna Gaines saw things not as they were, but as they could be. And so you would watch this show unfold, so they'd end up purchasing a home, and they start putting it together, and they'd rip back that orange shag carpet, and they'd realize, wow, there are wooden floors underneath there. And they'd put uh, that, that hole in the wall, they'd put some shiplap. I don't even know what shiplap is, but they put it everywhere. They put some shiplap on the wall, and then they'd add some French doors here. And before you know it, you started to get like really excited. You're like, wow, I can't believe that this home used to look like. And then they show like a picture of what the home looked like and what it looks like now. And then your jaw drops, and, and then the jaw dropped of the people that were purchasing it because it was beyond anything that they could actually fathom. But Chip and Joanna had a vision for it. And so I believe, I wanted to use that story as an illustration because I believe that that's how God sees 
us. I believe that's how God sees mankind. Not as we are, not in the dirt that we find ourselves in, but where we could be. He sees our potential just the same way as Chip and Joanna Gaines see the potential in that home. Unfortunately, though, most of us don't have God's perspective. So we see others the way that we see that home. Busted, beyond repair, right? Not worth the time. And that's heartbreaking because God has called us uh, to have his perspective. That's why he asks us, invites us to have eyes to see and ears to hear the way that he sees and hears in this world. So this is so important that we get God's protect perspective so we see things not as they are in front of us, but as they could and should be. And so to dive into this subject, I'm going I'm to open up in Matthew this is the seventh chapter, the first one through five verses. And it says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. In the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So I want you to think about a boomerang. If you throw it, it's going to come back. So the way that you judge is going to come right back at you. So this is, this is a warning that we all need to heed, not to judge with a hypocritical eye. It goes on to say, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay not attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there was a plank in yours? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. There's so much in this text, and we're going to take the next 15 minutes and change to unpack everything that the Lord is saying to us. First of all, let's go ahead and tack that word judge, okay? Because people, you know, people are judgy, okay? And they say, well, judge not, okay? Tupac, only God can judge me, right? Well, Mm, yes, but we all judge, okay? Every single one of us judges. We judge between good and evil. We judge between safe and not safe. Police officers have to judge, and firemen have to judge a situation. There's even a book in the Bible called Judges. In fact, the word judge in many forms, various forms, is found 700 times in Scripture. So you can say this, the Bible has a lot to say about judging, Okay, now this, this verse isn't telling us that we shouldn't judge. I already established that. But it's rather, it's cautioning us. It's actually, I'll use a stronger term, it's warning us not to judge with a hypocritical eye. And let me just kind of give you a really kind of a silly analogy to help illustrate this point. Okay, have you ever sat down for lunch and you ordered your food? Okay, and you're about to eat your food, all right, and a piece of your hair drops in it. It's like, oh gosh. It, there's something about hair and food that just sickens me. I think it sickens everyone. It's just like gross. I don't know. It's not supposed to be there. Okay, so but if it's your own hair, it's gross, but you can take it out and keep eating, right? You can kind of usually discern and, and recognize your hair. But same scenario, you sit down for lunch and I sit in front of a plate of spaghetti and there's a blonde hair in it. 
there's no way that I'm eating that. Why? Because it's somebody else's hair that's disgusting, okay? Yeah, I, can, I don't want to eat my hair, but at least I can pick it out. But dude, I cannot eat a plate of spaghetti with your freaking hair in it. There's no way. It's disgusting. Well, the same is true of sin, or at least the way that we view it. We view our own sin as like, eh, it's not great, but it's not the end of the world either. But we look at somebody else, else's sin and we go, oh, I cannot believe that they're doing that. Okay, I'm just going to let that one breathe because it's true. If you examine your heart, you have a different filter the way that you judge your sin and the way that you judge other people's sin. And that, my friends is the definition of hypocrisy. And so we have to be honest with ourselves. I need, I need you to put on your big boy pants and your big girl pants because we're going to get real, real with each other right now and be honest because that's the only way we can grow. Honesty is the currency of growth, right? So the first thing I want to break down in that scripture is the fact that he says, how can you point out the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye when there's a plank in your own? Okay. It's interesting that, that Jesus is using the illustration of an eye, okay? Now, when I was in fifth grade, another story for you. I got all kinds of stories today. When I was in fifth grade, um, we were building a uh, treehouse. And we were, I don't know why, how we came across this, but we had chicken wire. And so I'm like yanking on the chicken wire, yanking on the chicken wire to get it up, and it got caught on something. And of course, being a kid, you know, just, and I didn't have safety goggles. It was the 80s. Nobody had any safety goggles. I don't even think they invented safety goggles until the late 90s. But I yanked on this thing, and I scratched my eye. Oh, dude, it just, it gives me, I got goosebumps just even telling you this story. Okay, and I scratched my eye, I had to go to the emergency room, and in fifth grade, I had to wear a patch over my eye as it, as it healed itself. Um, for, it was, it's, I think it was close to two weeks. And ever since then, eyes, I just don't do. I can't do eyes. I can't, I could never wear contact lenses. I couldn't do, I, I don't even like touching my eyes. If I get like a piece of eyelash in my eye, I'm like the biggest baby in the world. I'm like throwing water in it. Anyway, I, eyes, okay? They're important. But what I learned about eyes in the fifth grade and the whole reason that I brought this story is that as the doctors and the nurses were working on my eye, you have to be extremely careful, okay? You have to be very ginger uh, with the way that you work with the eye. You can't be flippant and casual. So they had to be 100% focused on what they were doing. They had to be present because if not, the slightest imperfection or not paying attention could cause severe damage to the way that I see the world. So the doctors were extremely careful. So Jesus is giving us this illustration because when we bring correction into somebody's life, we have to use that same precision and caution because the way that we bring that correction can taint the way that that individual not only sees us, but sees God and sees others. So we have to be careful in the way that we administer this. We can't be haphazard. And we certainly can't come from a place or position of pride. So like anything in life, there's a right way to do something and there's a wrong way to do something. 
Okay, and so first, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tackle the wrong way to go about bringing correction into somebody's life. Um, I, I, we, we have a saying in the Joy House. I got all kinds of stories for you. I'm gonna share another story with you. There's a right way to be right. Okay, there's a right way to be right. And so Dominic, he, um, he's like a rule follower. He's gonna follow all the rules that I give him. Uh, and that's great. However, he likes to kind of um, take it upon himself to, to make sure that those laws are being, those rules are being followed by others. So he likes to put on that dad hat, okay? So maybe there's a certain way to load uh, the dishwasher because we all know there is a certain way to load it, but I don't want to get into that because I don't have time. And so I teach him how to do it, and he's doing it the correct way, but what he'll do is he'll wait for, he'll stand. If I ask Raquel or I ask Isaiah, can you put the dishes in the dishwasher today? And he'll stand kind of lording over them like this, waiting for them, okay, to make a mistake so that he can point it out, giving himself the moral high ground, okay? That's the wrong way to be. He's like straight drill sergeant mode. Um, that's exactly what the Pharisee did remember in in the in the story of uh, Luke 18 he said god thank you that i'm not like other people robbers evil evil doers or adulterers and not like this tax collector so he's sitting there while this man is pouring out his his petition to god and the pharisee is putting him looking down on this man. And then that's what my son is stepping into. And that's what we all have the danger of stepping into when we bring correction into somebody's life. So when we do it, we have to be extremely careful the way that that surgeon was careful with my eye because it can taint the way that they see. I call it planking. Okay, right? Because Jesus used the illustration, you're pointing out the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, but you got a plank in your eye. I should have brought a plank in here, but just think about a plank. He's making the comparison. When you point out something in your brother's life, it's really like from a position of pride, it's really like pointing out a speck of sawdust. If I had a speck of sawdust, you wouldn't even be able to see it. You wouldn't even be able to see it on this camera, but you could certainly see a plank. And Jesus is intentional on making this illustration, this planking. See, when you judge or correct from a place of pride, you pay an enormous price, both you and the other person. Pride plus time equals a critical spirit. If you stay in pride and puff yourself up, you'll begin to develop a critical spirit, looking to the left, looking to the right. Because that's how do you build yourself up? In pride, it's by putting somebody else down. But you never get a leg up in life by putting somebody else down. Think about it. To puff up, you must put something down. Before you know it, correction turns into accusation. And the Bible says that the enemy, the devil, is constantly making accusations against us. Jesus is making intercession. The enemy is making accusations. Matthew 20, verse 26 says this, Whoever wants to become great among you, then be your servant. The Bible warns us in Philippians 2, 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. See, this is magnified through social media. 
You know, when you create memes and, and, and use sarcasm, you're building a wall between you and the person that you're trying, allegedly trying to help. Sarcasm, if you look up the actual definition of the word in the Latin, literally means to tear at the flesh. That's where sarcasm's root word comes from. And when you're sarcastic in bringing correction, you're not building a bridge, you're building a wall. There's no way that they're going to be able to receive from you. And so you see how Jesus can be that strong in saying, you're trying to point out a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, and you're carrying a huge plank in your own because you're puffed up with pride, and you're supposed to be ambassadors of Christ. And Jesus himself was the one that said, I am meek and lowly of heart. What is meekness? What is gentleness? We don't talk a lot about that you know, people aren't writing books on it. There's not conferences on gentleness and meekness, yet that is how a Jesus identified himself. You want a good definition of gentleness? I'm going to give you one. It's tempered power. It's controlled power. Power under control. Let me give you an illustration, okay? Most of us would look at, I'm, I'm trying to think how I want to say this. Most of us would look at a lightning strike and the clap of thunder, the flash of the lightning and say, wow, that is so powerful. But that pales in comparison to the sun gently lighting up a field. There's far more power radiating from the sun, but it's under control. There's a gentleness. There's a stillness, there's a, there's a meekness to it. But we look at the loud clap of the thunder and the flash of the lightning, and we say, ooh, look at that. That's pride. Not that like lightning is pride, but you understand my illustration. We're drawn to that in the natural, and we say, oh, that's strong, that's powerful. Really, it's the sun lighting up the whole earth, warming us. That's far more dangerous but it's tempered, it's under control. I don't remember uh, my seventh grade science class, but it was something to the effect if the sun were to move probably millimeters or an inch, I'll just say safely an inch closer to the earth, it would burn it all up. It's, it's under control, that power is under control. And so when we're sarcastic, when we're putting down those that don't see the way that we see, when we're bringing, we're bringing correction under the guise of sarcasm, we're just building, we're, we're just being puffed up in pride. And God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. John 7.24 says this, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Remember we were talking about having God's eyes in perspective? When I was looking at that home, the same way that as those purchasers were looking at the home, I was looking at just face value. But Chip and Joanna Gaines were able to see something beyond that. And God is saying, I don't want you to see man on the outside. I want you to be able to see beyond that. Appearance is the way you see, the way you perceive with your eye. John is saying you need to see through God's eyes. Ephesians 4.15 says this, speak the truth in love. There's a right way to be right. What you're saying may be correct, but the way that you're doing it is wrong. 
Now let's look at the right way. Wanna look at the right way? Let's look at the right way, because there is a right way. We are supposed to bring correction. It's good, it's healthy, okay? Matthew 18, the Matthew 18 principle. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and give it to, to everybody right now. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their faults or address it. Call it out just between two of you. Private message. If they listen to you, you've won them over. So what that means is don't go on social media and say, I have a friend that's doing this, but I'm not going to drop any names, okay? Don't go vent it out to the world. When did social media become this medium for, you, for people to just vomit all of their issues on, okay? That's not tempered power. That's not power under control. That's just pride. It's self-pity. It's looking for people's attention in other ways. Not in the traditional sense, I've done this, I've accomplished this, therefore I deserve your attention. It's that I've been through this and this has been done to me, therefore I deserve your attention. Self-pity is repackaged pride. It's the same thing. It's you at the center. But what Matthew is telling us, if you have an issue, if your brother wronged you, if he's completely in the wrong and you're completely right, you still don't put them on blast on social media. You still don't go and, and start a rumor mill and gossip about them. Go to them in private. And the Bible actually says if you go to them in private and speak the truth in love, you will win them over. And they'll say, man, that's not, that's not what I was trying to do at all. And then you actually, you actually become closer together. A lot of people don't realize that when they have friction, they want to run in the opposite direction, but it's that friction, if, you, if you're willing to face it, that actually, it bonds you, it galvanizes you to come closer together. Let me just say this, correction is a good thing, okay? The Bible says in Proverbs, he who hates correction is stupid. Did you know that? He who hates correction is stupid. That's God, God saying that, not me. Look it up in your own Bible. So we need correction, why? Because correction is a path for us to be able to grow. I wanna use this analogy, think about a football player, okay? When we receive correction, you know, your boss comes in and says, you're not doing this, you're not doing this. You're waiting for them to get done talking so you can kind of like vomit all over them. Well, you don't know about this and you don't know about this, you're trying to justify yourself. Problem is what you justify, you buy. That means you, you own it, okay? And so, we would be wise in those situations of correction to lean in and listen because that person has nothing really to gain. They're doing this for your, they're bringing this correction to your benefit. They have everything to lose. You could, you could totally cut them out of your, your life. So the fact that they're bringing this correction to you shows that they wanna help you grow and you can't grow without correction. I'm sorry, you cannot grow without correction. You just can't. You don't have it all figured out. You do not have it all figured out and you need people that have been a little further down the road than you that have a few more years under their belt to be able to help you, to instruct you to say, hey, you know what, you're doing it this way. It would be a lot more effective if you did it this way. And a wise person would say, oh, that's great, thank you. I'm gonna throw this off to the side. I'm gonna start doing it this way. Back to the football analogy, okay? On Monday morning, the offensive line men go into a room with their coach and they watch second by second 
every play that they were a part of. And their coach plays it in slow motion and points out everything they did wrong. And you know what? Those offensive linemen, they aren't like, well, you know what? You know the reason that I did that actually? Well, you don't have the full picture. They're not like that at all. They're sitting at the edge of their seat waiting in anticipation to learn because they see that correction as a bridge to longevity in the NFL, to, to, to uh, developing their gift even further. And that's the way that all of us should look at correction. Uh, I've kind of got long, but I'm just going to kind of wrap it up here. So the Bible says in Colossians 3.12, to clothe ourselves in humility. You know, I didn't just wake up this morning and this sweater just jumped on me. I had to intentionally go into my closet, okay, and pick out this sweater, pick out the shirt underneath, pick out my boxes, pick out my jeans, and clothe myself, okay? We would be in trouble had I not clothed myself. Nobody wants that, okay? But in Colossians, he's using this language. You have to intentionally put on humility. You have to be intentional with humility the same way that you're intentional to put on a shirt, which I'm so grateful that you did. And here's the thing about humility. There is no bottom floor. You're never going to graduate beyond humility. It's not like you arrive in your 30s and say, I'm humble. It's not like you arrive in your 40s and say, you're humble. You continue to die to yourself. God's going to be showing you things in your 50s that you couldn't have handled in your 40s. And he's going to be showing you things in your 40s that you couldn't have handled in your 30s. Okay? So the best is to have a heart posture of humility so that God can bring that correction, others can bring that correction into your life so that you can grow and mature. Why is this important? Well, let me, let me close with this. Let, let's look at the life of Paul. Okay? Now, you can slice the pie any way you want to. Paul was a terrorist. He was adamantly against Jesus. He was ripping believers out of their homes, rounding them up, setting some of them on a path to death. He was a fanatic. He was a zealot. Okay? Even some of the people that you think are evil today probably aren't going into homes and dragging out Christians and killing them. But that's what Paul was doing. So Paul was a bad dude, okay? He was a bad guy. He was a man completely given over to hatred, not just towards anybody, but Christians in particular, okay? Yet God turned his life upside down. So we know the road, that Paul was on the road to Damascus. He saw a bright light. Jesus spoke to him. And all of a sudden, um, he couldn't see anything. And then God spoke to a man, Ananias, who was extremely hesitant, but, but remained obedient to the Lord, who found him, took him in, prayed for him, and for the first time, Paul's eyes were opened, physically and spiritually. Can you imagine what that conversation with God must have been like? Here's Ananias, he's serving God, you know, I sing praises to your name, oh Lord, he's like worshiping, and then he's like, God's like, hey Ananias, I need you to do something, I'm going to send somebody to you. Okay, yeah, anything you want, God. I'm going to send this guy named Paul, whoa, whoa, whoa. Paul, Paul, the dude that's murdering Christians the, the, in, in, in daylight, 
in cold blood that's dragging them out of their homes into the public square. That Paul? Yeah, that Paul. I'm doing something with him. And Ananias, he was in the natural, he was wrestling. He's like, well, I see Paul for what he is. He's a zealot. He's a terrorist. He's a murderer. But because he was obedient to Christ, he said, God, I'm going to see Paul through your perspective. And as a result, was able to pray with him. And Paul went on to write the majority of the New Testament, largely in part because of Ananias' faithfulness and willingness to humble himself and to look beyond what he saw in the natural and to be able to see those things not as they are, but as they could be. When we cast judgment, we rob people of the opportunity to see their potential through God's eyes. Jesus on the cross, think about this, betrayed, beaten, humiliated, was able to utter these words at the end of his life. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Jesus saw beyond the torment, beyond their sin, beyond their faults, beyond the terror, and saw the potential of who they could become. And God is asking us to have those same eyes towards others. So I encourage you to study these scriptures out for yourself, to not make haphazard comments and, and, and uh, judgments, but to really look and examine yourself before examining others. And when then when you do bring correction, that you bring it in a heart posture of humility so that the other person that you're bringing it to can grow. And to do it just you and them, not jumping on social media. It breaks my heart to see that even ministries and other churches are calling out other churches and ministries. It's vanity. It's pride. If you have an issue, go to your brother. Now, I'm not, ta I'm not talking about being soft, having a soft stance on sin. We should call those things out. But if we have an issue with somebody, we should go to them. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for every single person under the sound of my voice. I pray, Father, that, um, that they would clothe themselves in humility, that you would be able to identify any pride that's in their life and that they would be able to rid themselves of that. Lord, I pray that you would do a deep work inside of them and that they would have a new perspective on correction. Lord, bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys being with us. Until next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.